Where's that dust coming from? Still finding debris after vacuuming? Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has 8,000 PA of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets. And it's totally hands-free. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. And that's why many people will either gaslight themselves or think, oh, I don't have it because I am really organized or I am on time. That's because you have developed strategies to, to manage that or you've masked or whatever it might be. The What's Eating You podcast is a series of mental health topics that are designed to make you think, learn, educate, and validate. Enjoy the show. Cheers, babes. Welcome to Happy Hour with Lucy and Nikki, the real life shit you only discuss over a drink. But before we start, a little disclaimer. So today we're here for a ADHD time. ADHD. It's time. So we've brought in the big gun, Steph. So she is a an expert. She's a psychologist and she's got her own podcast called What's Eating You Podcast, where she discusses modern day mental health topics. Um, she's a registered psychologist. She's a board approved supervisor. She's a published author. Like like we said, she's got her own podcast and she's just a bit of a rock star. Yeah, it's really interesting. So she works in the area of eating disorders as well, disordered eating and ADHD in women specifically. Mm. So we were like, wow, you are literally like so perfect to come on and have a chat to us. And fuck guys, it was really interesting learning about <laughs> ADHD and like Luce and I just kept, <laughs> we kept just looking at each other and laughing because we were like, Wow, this is so you. Yeah. Listen, it's kind of crazy that I'm only just, re- like, I've only really recently been, it's like 18 months ago I think I got um, diagnosed or maybe 12 to 18 months. Um, and it's pretty crazy because I just thought I was a really intense person, like, my whole life. And, like, you know, still am. But <laughs> at least now I have an excuse. So I'm, like, stoked Boy, on that. so true. It's so funny, like, when we were talking about it and we left and I was like, Liz, like, wow, that was crazy. I was like, yeah, I fully was. Then I go... I couldn't help but think the whole time, shit, what's my excuse when I fuck up? Truly, no. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things. I think this episode's good for not only people who might be unsure of if they might have ADHD but also maybe for people around them to get an understanding of maybe why they do the things they do and stuff like that because even we were just having a conversation off air just then and Nikki was rousing me for something I'd said on the weekend and I was like, babe, I've told you I have no There's filter li- yeah. between my brain and my mouth. I wish I did. She's like, I'm really nervous because you go on and you tell me that I said all this stuff and I'm like, well, you did. Why'd you say it? <laughs> She's like, I can't help it. Like literally I cannot help it's it. It's a like, slippery slope. Mm. It is a fucking slippery slope. But, yeah, it's so true. Like it kind of sucks though because it's like – you don't want to be stressing about that stuff either. But do you think being more aware of it actually does help? Yeah, well, I think obviously since I've been medicated, yeah. so I'm on dexamphetamine now um, once a day and that helps me a lot in the like slowing down my brain a little bit so that I can, you know, function with more ease, focus mm. on like a, what's in front of me rather than bing-bonging around. Like bing-bong is a really good description of what my brain does. Yeah. Um, which can be really chaotic for the end receiver because it's like for me, my brain might go in a bunch of different um, tangents but like it's making sense in my brain but like on the other end it's like, whoa, how would were we just talking about lunch and Literally. you somehow ended up having a conversation about like – 
Yeah, something, something else. Something random. It's, it is good, though. Like, I feel like even in the work sense, you've always been really good at being like, oh, hang on, I, I need to sit down and write this out so I can... Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So you've got little... You've got things in your toolkit, I feel. It's about learning help. what works for you, I yeah. guess. And it is really interesting because she said she, she's like, as she goes through, this is the most ADHD thing I've ever done. So basically, I... I have to be either really, really strict or really, really like I'm kind of just in one of my, I should call it like binge eras because it's like when I'm in my bad eras, I'm like eating a lot of junk food, drinking a lot of wine, binging a lot of television, mm. sleeping a lot. Like I'm doing a lot of these like really bad things. But when I'm really good, I'm like almost the other extreme and I'm like a really healthy, well-rounded person. And she's like, for someone with ADHD, they almost have to be like really, really strict with a lot of to-do lists and this and that. And it's like, this is the most ADHD thing I've ever done. I'm so ADHD that I recognized that I had issues in like my organizational department. So then I went and developed an entire app to fix that. <laughs> and then I never used the app that I made. Like as if that's not the definition of ADHD, because <laughs> I was binging. So like, that's, that, that's. Wow. That's giving ADHD too much money on your hands, brother. Literally. So I get back into that app, please. I've started using the app again a lot now that I'm like trying to get because I I reckon I would say my ADHD has been the worst. It's been the last six months ever. Really? Yeah. Even medicated. Because it wasn't. How long have you had ADHD for? Like whilst you've been medicated, it's only like, be like 12, a year. twelve to eighteen months. Mm. Interesting. Mm. But the reason why it's been so bad isn't because of my medication. It's because of my lifestyle choices have not been complementary oh, yeah, yeah, to yeah. my, like, what do you call it? Like diagnosis. Yeah. Like instead of like really getting and doing the things that I know work for me, which are exercising in the morning, which are having lists, which are having well-planned days, but even, that kind of yeah. a thing. Like I have been doing the opposite. I've been really unorganized. So I'm actually in a phase at the moment. Mm. It's a really good time for us to talk about this because I am in a really good phase at the moment. I feel like you're definitely on the up. Yeah, big and time. And it's so interesting like in this episode and obviously we don't want to like say too much now but Steph talks about how like people with ADHD naturally produce a lower level of serotonin. So yeah. exercising actually is game changer for people with ADHD because you're actually getting your serotonin produced. Yeah. And, and like, um, you, and know, like you, you think when you're, oh, yeah, I'm like, like it's, you're just a different person when you've been to the gym in the morning. Oh, it's crazy. The difference it makes for me like is, and everyone's like, oh, you know, everyone f- feels good after a gym session. And I'm like 100%. But I it's feel. It's more how, I carry, how you carry yourself and even like how you like. Think about your whole life. Yeah, it really <laughs> does one workout. She's absolutely cheering. Does one workout and I'm on top of the world. Doesn't no workouts and I'm like literally the most depressed person ever. <laughs> literally, I used to be like, oh my god, I hope she's going to the gym today. We've got a really big day. Come literally, on, I know it's crazy. So yeah, this is a really really great episode, and I feel like a lot of you guys message me all the time asking about my ADHD journey. Like it's probably one of my most commonly messaged mm. topics. And I think that Steph is great at explaining everything and we talk a lot about my journey and just overall, you know, if you think you might have ADHD or if you think you've got a best friend with ADHD, this is probably good mm. to listen for you. And literally, like, she goes through the steps of um, getting your diagnosis and stuff too. Mm. So listen along, see what you think, see if anything's um, resonating and mm. maybe go get it checked out. For sure, for sure. Let's go. Welcome to Happy Hour, Stephanie. We're so excited to chat to you today. Thank you for having me. I've been awaiting this podcast. There's so much to talk about. Oh yeah, God, we're seriously. excited. This has been very highly requested. Um, 
Because I don't know if you have been told this, but I actually just was recently diagnosed with ADHD. So this is very, very relevant to our audience. Yes, I can imagine. My goodness. How's it been for you since learning about it? Um, it's been good. I, I like obviously take my like medication and stuff, which has been a really, really big help with just getting through the day for lack of a better word. But, um, but I, yeah, it's good. I think it's just one of those things. Once I've started learning more and more about what the symptoms are of ADHD and I'm like, how did I not know? Well, how did I not figure this out sooner kind of Mm. thing? Yes, and I'm I'm nodding my head because your experience is so common, especially among women who have maybe suspected that something wasn't quite right. But for many people, they report that the ADHD diagnosis is just that missing part of the puzzle that they Mm. never had. Totally, totally. Well, give us a bit of a brief intro about you and what you do before we get into it. Sure, I would love to. So I'm a registered psychologist and I've been a psychologist for just over seven years now. And I tapped into the online world just before COVID happened. So I've always believed in telehealth. I've always believed in seeing people online and helping them, but it wasn't a recognized, I guess, opportunity with Medicare. You had to get counseling in person. It had to be face to face unless you lived rurally. But even with that, there were such strict rules around, you know, they have to live a certain, um, in a certain area or you only could do two sessions. So I decided to open an online private practice in 2019 at the end, 2020, and then COVID happened and the world just started. It was crazy. The world just started to believe in, in telehealth and Medicare online. And that was sort of my, my passion. And that's what I've worked in over the last couple of years, but Before that, I was a psychologist working face-to-face in private practice. I worked with groups. Predominantly, I work with eating disorders or disordered eating. And now, ADHD, especially in women. Wow. Wow. You are literally like the perfect person to come on to chat about this then (laughs) because that is unreal. What crazy timing that you um, opened that online practice and then obviously no one could go in in person and then that's when everyone really would have needed that support as well. 100%. And it's when everyone, well, majority of people learned they had ADHD. And I think it happened for a number of reasons. I think during the pandemic, two things happened, I believe. One is people really struggled with their relationship with food. So the eating disorder side of things escalated. I mean, we couldn't go to the gym. Our food was running out. We didn't have access to our normal stress relievers. So eating and food became a more a coping mechanism that was more commonly used. And then on top of that, because many people were required to adapt and work from home or had just been let off their job, many women in particular and men as well, but I'm just highlighting this because this is the uh, population I see a lot more of, realized just how much they struggled with everyday tasks, Mm. being on time, adapting to Zoom meetings, uh, (laughs) getting notes, attending conversations, yes, cooking, cleaning, and especially first-time mums. There were a lot of mums during COVID who were first-time that really struggled. And for many women, they don't realise they have ADHD until they have kids or until their kids are diagnosed. Wow. wow. That's so interesting. So, like, what is ADHD, like the definition of ADHD? Well, ADHD stands for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. So it's a neurodevelopmental disorder, which means essentially it's in the brain. 
It's a bit confusing because it is in the Diagnostic Manual of Mental Health Conditions, but it is more essentially a neurobiological or a brain condition. But that's not to say it doesn't come with a a myriad of psychological uh, problems as well. Basically, it's a disorder where someone's executive functioning doesn't work the same as someone who doesn't have ADHD. So basically, we've got neurotypical and we've got neurodiverse. So think of your brain as a computer and as a part of your brain called the executive functioning system. This is your your CEO of your brain. It's responsible for being organized, being on time, planning, getting your life together, cooking, cleaning, all the little tasks that you do. You need your memory. You need processing speed. And for people with ADHD, that part of their brain doesn't work the same. It's almost like you've got a super, super fast computer, but outdated software. So your brain is running a million miles an hour, but you feel you you can't quite keep, keep up with it. Wow. That's, I feel like that's such yeah. a great way to explain that. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. I'm like, you're yeah. speaking my actual language. Yes. Well, we use a lot of metaphors to try to explain it. And there are three subtypes. So there used to be ADD, which was attention Mm. deficit disorder. Now that was basically ADHD without the hyperactivity part, but that has since Uh. changed. So now it's just ADHD and there's three types of presentations. So you've got your hyperactive impulsive, which is the one everyone thinks ADHD is. It's that hyperactive young boy jumping on the couches, climbing on the trees. Mm. And then you've got your inattentive presentation, which is, I guess, the new ADD, which is predominantly losing focus, disorganization, more of a restlessness internally in your mind. And then there's the combined presentation, which is a bit of everything. Mm. Yeah. Wow. And what do you think is the most common that you come across yourself? I see a lot of inattentiveness in women, Mm. but I think it is expressed differently. I think the way the hyperactivity or impulsivity, the way it's expressed in men and women is a little bit different, but I do think inattentiveness is a little bit more, I wouldn't say common, but we see it a little bit more. But I think that's also because women have learned to mask and just to deal with it all and don't necessarily know that they're hyperactive or impulsive until someone mm. else brings it up. Mm. Yeah, it's crazy because I feel like, and I don't know if like this is actual stats or not, but it just seems like there's so many more people being diagnosed now. Like what do you think yes. the reasoning, do you think it's just more education around ADHD in general and like people are kind of like, wait a minute, like, like you said, like I've always just masked that mm. and kind of got on with it and just thought I was like not focusing and stuff. Yeah, there has been a rise in assessments, in diagnoses, and I think it's three reasons. I think predominantly it's increased awareness and education. Mm. My theory, and this is not evidence-based, is that TikTok and the pandemic kind of happened around the same time. And at that same time, a lot of people were on TikTok and a lot of people were speaking about ADHD on, on social media in general. So I think increased awareness and education and actually watching this and having it uh, public awareness made it more available, the internet, social media, and people thought, oh my gosh, I relate to this. Could this be me? And I think the second reason is just an improved understanding of ADHD. I think back in my day when I was growing up, it wasn't well understood. 
your mm. parents just said, get on with it. There's nothing wrong. Keep going. But I think just, uh, yes, the improved understanding of what it looks like, that mental health professionals can better diagnose it, assess it now. And the third thing is, I think the destigmatization of mental health. I mean, growing up in my era, and I'm not sure if you're both the same, we didn't really talk about mental health. It wasn't a thing. It was embarrassing or it was uh, stigmatized. Whereas now I love this generation. They're so open about it and mm. the, the stigma has decreased. So more people are likely to seek help. Mm. Well, yeah, it's an inter- interesting one because I obviously only got diagnosed, I think it's just over a year ago now. Mm. Um, and I, I definitely get a lot of people when, if I say to them, oh yeah, I've got ADHD, they're like, oh, okay. Like you and everyone, uh. everyone else, like whatever. Even like, you know, some people very close to me don't believe that I have it and that they, I just am like egging it on or whatever. And I'm like, oh, well, a psychiatrist has actually told me that Literally. I have it. So that's kind of the facts. But I think um, there still is that really big stigma around it and people just thinking that you're doing it to try and, like, take the piss. Like, me having ADHD doesn't make me, like, have any kind of more of a – I don't want to say disability, but, like, I don't Mm. use it as an excuse to get away with not doing Mm. things. I just more use it as an understanding of why I do certain things more so, if that makes sense. Yes, and let me ask a question – are the people who I guess minimize or deny your diagnosis, do they have ADHD? I don't I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> no, because it's usually the people who don't, and it's usually the people who don't understand it. And they're usually the first people to be like, oh, medication, big pharma, you know, you don't need to be medicated. Are the people who've never experienced the difficulties that people with ADHD experience. So it's easy to say it's a fad. It's easy to say you just want to be part of the trend when they haven't experienced just how hard it can be. And they've probably Mm. seen you, these people closest to you, they've probably seen you functioning. They've seen you turn up to appointments. They've seen you do all that, but they don't know the difficulty that you go through to just function at that level. Yeah. Well, speaking of what are some of your, the main symptoms that you believe to be you know, part of the ADHD experience? Yeah. So basically the most important thing is that the symptoms are enduring and ongoing. So many people are like, how do I know if it's anxiety? How do I know if it's ADHD? So the symptoms of inattentiveness, forgetfulness, being easily distracted, feeling like you've got 800 tabs opening your brain, being unable to regulate your emotions, especially that's a symptom we see a lot. It's just so uh, Lucy, it's not even funny. (laughs) It's crazy. It's wild. (laughs) I'm like, how? Sorry, keep going. That's all right. Forgetfulness, difficulty prioritizing, difficulty with initiation, getting started on tasks, especially when you know you need to. And the reason is this. Basically, in our brain, we've got our neurotransmitters. We've got our dopamine and we've got norepinephrine. So dopamine is the one that makes you feel good. It's the reward neurotransmitter, whereas norepinephrine is the neurotransmitter that helps us get started on tasks, that helps us initiate it. And what they've found, and they've done brain studies on this, they know that it exists. People with the ADHD brain have lower levels of access to dopamine and norepinephrine. So Getting started on tasks, completing tasks, uh, sticking to one thing. There's some of the inattentive symptoms. But then when we think of the hyperactive impulsive, 
making rash decisions, maybe blurting something out that someone else wouldn't blurt out, something inappropriate. (laughs) And this is why ADHD can sometimes be confused as narcissism or being a narcissist because everyone's a narcissist nowadays, but essentially the difficulty holding back what you're trying to say, not having that filter can come across as rude and insensitive, but it's not. It's just, I just have, don't have that thing in my brain that stops me from saying things. Yeah, crazy. Are you like born with ADHD? The current understanding is yes, you are born with it. However, there is emerging, I guess, literature or questions into do some people have a genetic vulnerability that then gets Mm. activated at a very young age? Mm. But essentially, yes, at the moment, it is the belief that any neurodiversity, autism, or ADHD, that you are born with it. But who knows? where the research is going to go. It's still, there's still so much unknown about it. We really are still in the early stages of understanding it. Mm. For me, like with my experience growing up, I, my mom's a teacher, right? So she, now that I've been diagnosed with ADHD, she's kind of like, well, I'm a teacher. It's like my job to notice this in kids. How did I not notice that my own daughter has it, but it is like, like we were saying before, and like you mentioned with like, you know, like the boy jumping around on the lounge and, you know, the red cordial, like, oh, do you just have red cordial thing? Mm. It's, it didn't present necessarily, like I am quite a hyperactive person anyway, but it didn't present in the same way as that. Like the stereotypical, the stereotypical, you know, growing up, I, I was more, it was probably more likely I might yell out in the classroom, but not in like a, a naughty way. It was probably more, cause I was quite a bright kid. It was kind of yes. probably like more control, but it was still essentially like yelling out and doing the wrong thing. And I always just remember growing up, I just used to think like, why, why can't I like keep my opinions or my feelings to myself? Like, why do I always just blurt out what I say? And it did actually lead, you know, quite often, like some of my teachers didn't like me or like, you know, some of my oh. friends, older siblings and stuff, they were like, that girl just talks too much. Like it was always like, Lucy just talks way too much. Um, yeah. And like I got a podcast now, so who cares? <laughs> well, yeah. And then I found out as I got, you know, as I got older and I started to do, you know, associate mainly with people that were, what's the right word? Um you know, like, you know, you, you form your friendships and your friends just accept you for who you are and you start working in an industry where maybe it doesn't matter if you yell out because maybe now you have a podcast or that kind of a thing. As I got yes. older, I started to feel less weird about those kinds of things because I guess I found my groove. But then when I got to a certain age and I started having like a few kind of personal issues, I guess, in terms of like, you know, my mental health, I think that's Mm. when for me it became very obvious that I couldn't, because if I was just cruisy and everything was good and happy, like I could kind of still like get through the day and make it work. But it became very obvious when I was like going through a bit of a rough time that I was like, I can't even, like literally I can't even like focus on writing one email. Like it was just like it yes. kind of really spiraled and I think that's when I was like I actually do need to go and get diagnosed. Mm. 
Yes, yes. And two things on that. Number one is so many individuals who have parents that are either in the mental health industry or in the education industry, there's a lot of shame around that. And for some reason, many people don't tell their parents they have an ADHD diagnosis if their mum's a psychologist or their mum's a teacher because they don't want to put that guilt that their parents didn't pick it up. Or even parents can be very invalidating, say, oh, that's ridiculous. I would have known if you had it. So Mm. it can be a really complicating, I guess, dynamic if you if your parents are in that industry and you and you have it but I think as well no one wants to I guess think that their child may may have something or everyone you know thinks their kid is the best and that they're trying the best but regards to the classroom it's very different with with women they may sit at the back of the classroom hoping that they're not going to get asked to put their hand up, they may overcompensate and do all the work and be the best student. A lot of them are people pleasers and they want the teacher to recognize them because they've felt either invalidated in their family or for other reasons. So I think the problem is the stereotype you mentioned is that everyone thinks it's this hyperactive, Mm. consistent uh, person, but in the classroom, there can be lots of different presentations for different reasons. Because like you said, 80% of people with ADHD have another mental health condition because of the ADHD. It brings up other issues, like you said, anxiety, issues in your relationships, depressive symptoms, because ADHD on its own, whilst there's a lot of positives and we can go into that, having it undiagnosed your whole life, that is really hard. That's very challenging. And what I call is emotional life damage. It can lead to so much impairment in other areas if it's not recognized. Yeah. Wow. So it is quite common for ADHD to be linked to like depression or anxiety. Yes. It's, it is, if someone just has ADHD and nothing else, that's rare. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 80% of people. And the reason is because when you have ADHD and it's undiagnosed or let's say unmanaged, right? Because some people may still have it, but they don't manage it. So you're late to things, you can't finish tasks, you get distracted. That causes a lot of anxiety. What's wrong with me? Why can't I be on time? Why can't I finish something? That then affects your self-esteem. There's something Mm. wrong with me. Why is everyone doing everything easier? Then you got low self-esteem, you got anxiety. And then of course, that's going to lead to low mood, especially when you've got lower levels of dopamine, you're not going to feel as happy as easily as other people. And this is why people with ADHD go to extreme lengths or what we call dopamine seeking, because they're trying to feel that happiness that they don't feel as easily as people who with a neurotypical brain. Yeah. Wow. It's, yeah, it's definitely interesting, isn't it? Like I, I know um, that for me, yeah, like I said before, I guess that was just that was when I, because I, I think one of my main sy- symptoms is I am really like I hyperfixate on things. So, but mm. like not only it could be, you know, for a period of six months, I could be hyperfixated on like starting a new business or whatever. So it does also play to my strengths. But then when I get sad, I get so fixated on how sad I am and it's all I can think about. Like I literally can't think about anything else. And so it just kind of, I think, really accelerates that feeling. Mm. But if I'm happy, I'm like the happiest person in the room. So it's kind of like whatever I'm feeling, I'm feeling it probably 10 times more than someone that doesn't have ADHD because, which can be a good thing, but it can also be a bad thing. 
Yes. And you're right. There are so many strengths of it. And just going back to the emotions, I think it really also comes down to emotion regulation. Like when you are sad, do you have strategies to either recognize that, accept that, manage it? Because when we experience an intense emotion and we don't know how to manage it adaptively, we can often manage it maladaptively or ineffectively. So it's not uncommon to feel emotions very strongly when you have it. Mm, Wow. You were saying before, like, you know, there might be some people that have ADHD, but they're not managing it properly. Like what are some things that you can do to like manage like the everyday symptoms of ADHD are obviously like being medicated and stuff, but is there anything else? Yeah. Yeah. So if you have ADHD or you think you have it, always seek professional help. There's three main pillars. And the first pillar is medication. And look, it may not be for everyone, but it is like an eyesight condition. And it's like saying to someone who needs glasses, just squint, you'll be all right. When you tell people with ADHD, oh, just try something natural or don't worry about medication. It's a brain condition and it's a neurotransmitter issue. So medication is extremely important in managing it. You know, you wouldn't tell someone who needs glasses, don't worry about it, just just wing it. So medication is very important, but it's it is a journey getting the right dosage, taking it at the right times. That's another journey you've got to go on. Mm. Uh, The second pillar is your executive functioning strategies. And a lot of women already have managed this. So executive functioning strategies is diaries, uh, digital notebooks, writing (laughs) things down. Uh, I literally (laughs) developed an app to manage my time. I like literally developed a calendar app. I know it's just so funny. I'm like, duh, I'm like literally the poster girl (laughs) for ADHD. It's actually crazy. And I did that before I was diagnosed with ADHD. Yes. And that's why many people will either gaslight themselves or think, oh, I don't have it because I am really organized or I am on time. That's because you have developed strategies to, to manage that, or you've masked or whatever it might be. So the things to get you organized, and you can find these online, you can find apps, you can find different um, coaches. And then the third one is the emotional, psychological side. I think it's very important for someone to get therapy because ADHD brings up a lot of things, anxiety, low mood, eating disorders. Someone might also have a personality disorder. I'm not saying everyone does, but a lifetime of not knowing you have ADHD leads to problems that you need help solving. So I think therapy is really important in that three pillars. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I think that, um, well, do you find often, like what do you find is the most common kind of link between these things when you've got, when you've got like new clients that come in, like what's your typical kind of ADHD? Is it a client Mm. or patient? Patient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you say client, but you can say a patient as well. The funny thing is people come to me for eating disorders and that's what I've predominantly worked with. Now it is ADHD because it's, it's out there. But when I see someone really struggling, okay, number one, they can't find the Zoom link. <laughs> so they're late to appointments or they don't remember when their appointment is. I'm like, okay, that's all right. They, then they come in, they ask me to repeat the question, um, which is normal and okay. They sort of lose their train of thought. Uh, they're quite nervous or anxious. They have had difficulty 
getting tasks done. They may struggle with their eating. So we see a lot of binge eating as well. And people will come to me for an eating disorder and I'll say, look, sounds like you've tried a lot of things. Have you ever been assessed for ADHD? Have you ever considered that this could be it? And a lot of them haven't. The other thing is a lot of overcompensating, a lot of perfectionism, a lot of going above and beyond to try to prove that you can do things and prove to yourself that you can do things, but it comes at a cost, a cost of burnout, relationships, whatever it you know, might take for that person. They're the main symptoms we see, but when it gets tricky is with the impulsivity, hyperactivity. So impulsivity might be uh, drug and alcohol consumption. It might be excessive spending. That's a big one we see. Uber Eats a lot of the time. Uh, just... <laughs> Gosh, the amount of money I think Uber Eats has made off people with uh, ADHD. Surely they can give us a Dissy code. Surely Uber Eats use ADHD for 20% off, please. It is. It's an ADHD's best friend. It's it's novel. It's fun. It's colourful. It's taking your mind off your stress. It's because you forget to eat probably. And many people with ADHD, they forget to eat and then they binge eat. It's, you know, easy to order food. Cooking is hard. So it is meeting so many of those needs. Yeah. This is, this is honestly crazy. Like just yeah. like all these like symptoms people just are very think relatable. I'm like just this really intense person, but I'm like, <laughs> it's cause I've got ADHD. Fuck wits. But I remember when Lucy was like getting diagnosed, um, and you went to your psychiatrist? Is it? Yeah, yeah, psychiatrist. Psychiatrist and yeah. everything. And obviously because I spend a lot of time with her, I kind of was on the phone to her just sort of doing like a secondary mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, they, question they, screening they called thing. Nick to do like a second screening. Oh, good. Yes, yeah. yes. You usually so, do that. They need an informant, someone else to sort of give perspective. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And obviously because we work together and stuff, you know, I was just being as Honest as I could. Yeah. <laughs> there's days where she doesn't open an email. That's okay. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> one of my toxic traits. But no, and um, yeah, I guess like after she was medicated, though, like working with you every day, you can fully see the difference. Like mm, when it, yeah. it works, it's pretty crazy. Yes. Well, like I even started taking like off the market Dexies at one point just so I could try and yeah. keep working because I was and I was like, Nick, I don't know if it is just a placebo effect or if these are helping, but I was like, I feel like yeah. now I can't really work without them. And I think at the beginning and rightly so, she was a little bit skeptical because she's like, you can't just like start. I had to, I roused her one day and I said, <laughs> This is the first and last time I'd say you're an adult. I said, but I think for your sake, you really need to go see a psychiatrist so you know what you're taking is definitely the right thing for you. Instead of just buying them off market. (laughs) That's so bad. But anyway, don't do what I do, kids, if you're listening. No. But I think that's a really good point is another one of the signs is we see people with undiagnosed ADHD be really attracted to substances and it works different. So if you have ADHD and you're taking um, drugs that are meant to, you know, stimulate you and, Mm. uh, you you know, your uppers, they actually calm people with ADHD. They have the opposite effect. So one of the myths, I know we're going to go into myths, is that medication is going to turn you into a drug addict and you're going to abuse them, but it's actually the opposite. There's a Mm. higher risk of people overdosing and taking illegal substances if they are not medicated. Yeah, yeah, right. There you go. But I remember even at the time, one of your 
biggest rebuttals was, I can't get in for three months. <laughs> no. Well, yeah. as you, as I was like, no, it is actually. Like, we'll book the appointment and then by the time it comes around, you know, you've already booked it. I actually read the funniest meme because I, I follow a lot of ADHD-related, like, um, Instagram yeah. accounts and stuff now. And I saw the funniest meme the other day and it was like the irony that the cure of ADHD is expecting someone with ADHD to say, to take a pill at the same time every day. And I was like, wow, it is so true. So what are some of the main misconceptions you hear about ADHD? Yeah, some of the, the main misconceptions is that people say it's not a real disorder, it's just laziness, it's just discipline. It is a legitimate neurodevelopmental disorder with well-established diagnostic criteria and there's a substantial body of research, so it is real. It is real and it's not being lazy. It is a disorder and the thing is people with ADHD are very hardworking because they try so hard to overcompensate what they got told growing up. So a lot of people with ADHD growing up were told they were lazy. If only you applied yourself, you just need to be disciplined. And they learn to internalize that voice. And many of them will then develop perfectionism because they're trying to overcompensate. Yeah. It's interesting. Hey, cause it's like, I think that with me, so some of the things that I have found that become my way of coping with it is that I, and it's so interesting because obviously probably I spend more time with Nikki than I do anyone else. And she's like quite literally the polar opposite. So my kind of way of coping is always being like an extremist. So it's like, oh, okay. I need to be overly disciplined to Mm. be able to survive. So it's like, I'm either Mm. like completely spiraling and in this absolute, you know, unorganized, missing appointments, not opening my emails for days. Eating junk food. Eating junk food, being really avoidant of like, you know, any confrontation or things that I need to like address, like just like completely in this world of like denial almost. Um, And then or then the other extreme is I'm like so organized going to the gym every morning with this like really strict morning criteria, like doing timelines of what time I need to be here to get to here before I do this, locking in all my emails and to-dos. And so it's like, it's good and it's bad because I I just can't really, I'm either, I I could be really good, but I'm only really, really good. I would say like 30% of the year. And for the rest of the 70%, I'm just in that kind of Mm. unorganized phase and it's just like whereas like someone like Nikki for example just can kind of get through life in that very middle part where she can kind of be doing a little bit of all of it whereas I need to be Mm. like either so strict or completely unhinged. Yes. Yes. I hear you. And I, and I noticed you said, you know, either I'm good and I'm good 30% of the time. And it's this idea that being that way doesn't mean it's good because being that way all of the time comes at a cost. You know, Mm -hmm. no one can be this high functioning person 24 hours a day. And it's actually good to not check your email. It's actually good to binge eat. It's actually good to have some junk food here and there. So I think it's also the journey is about how can I be a bit cognitively flexible if I am in this, you know, binge eating avoidant phase like let's recognize it for what it is let's give ourselves permission let's allow it and you know what's one step I can make today in the other direction but not Mm. 
expecting yourself to be one or the other. Because mm. let me tell you, you probably think you're the only person who has these um, these moods or these changes, but so many people have it too. Mm. Big time. Well, I think what I'm what I'm trying to do, like what I'm trying to get to be able to do. And like I'm only really, I've only really started feeling like this about a week ago. So it's all very new information. But yes. um, rather than me having like good weeks and bad weeks, I want to kind of more focus on having like, you know, a good Monday to Thursday. And then I can have Friday to Sunday where I am in this kind of, you know, and it's the weekend. Dinner or what, yeah. Yeah. But I, I just look at it as like almost like long-term like lifestyle changes, you know, yeah. like accepting yes. that balance is always going to be a thing and like enjoying when you do go out for, you know, a naughty dinner or you might mm. have a few too many drinks with a friend and it's like so you don't have that like seesaw of guilt. Yes, and guilt comes when you think you're doing something wrong and it really comes back to stepping back and noticing what you're thinking, noticing what you're feeling, like even like what is a naughty dinner? What is an mm. unhinged night out? Like what what does that all mean and why is it bad? Like why can't I say I'm going out to eat, I don't know, whatever a naughty dinner is, I'm going out to eat steak and drinks or whatever, and that's okay. Yeah. I think for me it's not uh, going out for dinner with my friends is not the right example of what yeah. I could potentially do in a bad week. I, I could go out for dinner with friends, not go to bed until 10 a.m. the next day and then eat junk food for three days and not do any work. <laughs> it's kind of like pretty extreme. Do you know what I mean? It's not like just yeah. like, oh, I missed the gym one day. It's like, oh, I didn't actually go to the gym for majority of 2023. Like mm, that kind yeah. of a thing. It's like I'm almost in these like really intense like chapters of it. I guess you would call it. Yes. And so I to pull myself out of it, I like almost have to be like at least at least a little bit really like really strict and then I can mm. I can like yeah, then I can have then you a, like almost readjust from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like for instance, like we're away a lot at the moment um for we're like touring with a music festival and Amazing. we're like, you know, in Melbourne one day, in Perth the next day, not home, not in my routine. And I find I'm like the kind of, I'm crazy obsessed with routine. Like mm. I know everyone likes their routine, but I'm like freaky, freaky routine girl when, I, when I'm when i trying to be good. And I knew that it, this was going to be a dangerous chapter for us because I knew we were going to be completely out of routine, um, still have, you know, our week, weekly work expectations. We still run our business and everything. And on the road too, like on the naturally road, when yeah. you're like traveling and stuff, you tend to like, you know, even just like, you know, at a music festival every night for three weeks. So we're going to be drinking a lot, like that kind of a thing. So I went into this period just knowing that and rather than feeling like really guilty on the days where I would be a little bit down and out, I'm just like mm. really focusing on then the next day bouncing back and being able to be like, okay, I'm at home. So I am getting up early and I'm going to the gym, that kind of a thing. Yes, yes. But do you think, do you think, uh, Lucy, that because you have these episodes of being so strict and so routine and so organized that there's part of your brain that's like boring, let's like oh. do something a bit different. Let's like get a little bit 
um, what's the word? Be a bit of a rebel. Let's because the brain, you know, really wants variety and wants fun and wants excitement. And when we're too organized and too perfect and we eat too clean, like biologically, our brain doesn't want to do that for a long time. Well, yeah, and I think I think it's just about fi- being able to find the right balance is a yes. um, choice word where that I can you know, still be able to enjoy the things that I like to do, but without it then, you know, taking a month for me to slip back into a good, healthy lifestyle, you know, because I'm I'm, I'm the kind of person that I will like literally avoid appointments like the plague. Like the only appointments that I ever actually do religiously go to are ones that make me look good, like getting my nails and hair done. Like otherwise if it's anything, (laughs) like it could be like, Lucy, you've got – you know, a life-threatening disease and I'll be like, no, I'll deal with that next week kind of vibes. <laughs> it's extreme procrastination. Yeah. It's extreme procrastination because whatever it is you're wanting to do, you see it as this huge like mountain and you're like, no, nah, mm. that, that's too hard. I'm going to avoid because avoidance gives you short-term relief but it's piling up behind mm. you. So what I always say to people who are stuck between this sort of this dynamic is, you know what, what's a, what's a good decision today in line with my goals? It doesn't have, you don't have, it doesn't have to catapult you to your goals, but what's a good decision? A good decision might be emailing and say, I have an appointment, but I can't make it rather than not showing up at all. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. I completely agree. I it's, like that. A good decision to help. Yeah. Help you. A good decision yeah. instead of a perfect decision. Yeah. People get paralyzed because they think they need to make the best optimal decision. They think they have to go to the gym for a full hour. They think they have to go to every appointment. They think they have to whatever, complete their uni assignment. But when you're in those states of sort of paralysis, let's call it, ask yourself, what's a good decision, not a perfect decision right now? Mm. Do you think like if you have ADHD, like lists are kind of integral? Yes. I think organization, not organization, I should probably say Routine is amazing for people with ADHD. They really thrive off routine despite feeling as though they struggle with it. Routine organizers, to-do lists, having it in front of you, whatever you need that's important should be literally in front of your eyes. So like a a to-do list you can always see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, fully. Yeah, it's so funny. Like this ADHD is such a weird thing because I, you know, you guys may or may not have ADHD. I'm not sure if you do, but Nikki certainly doesn't. And I don't know, she still thrives off writing a to-do list too. So it's kind of like it's it does feel sometimes like it's this weird like scapegoat of being just like, oh, you're a bit lazy or whatever or you're just a little bit mm. unorganised. But like even I remember when we were at uni um, and we went to uni together, I got into this – like I like could not – study alone just simply couldn't I'd read a page and then I'd bing bong mentally around the room all night and like lay on my bed and never actually (laughs) study and so I got in this habit of like only studying as a group like with my like other students in my class Mm. and stuff and then once I'd done that like once or twice I found it even harder to study in any other way like I could only do things if there were people there like facilitating it with me, if that makes sense. Yes, yes. I think they call it body doubling. There's a term for this in ADHD language where you actually have 
an accountability buddy that you do things with at the same time. Like if you want to do an hour of work, you Zoom with someone and you're there together or you meet up and you do mm. it together. So it's about having that person to hold you accountable because people with ADHD, they also don't want to let other people down. They're usually people pleasers. So if someone else is there, they're more likely to study or do the work. Oh, totally. Like, yeah, it's it's crazy. Like, and even I pretty much won't touch any work unless I'm physically with Nikki just because mm. I just am like, but as soon as I'm, someone else is there, then I can get heaps more done. Mm. Mm. Yes. It's interesting. Yes. Earlier you mentioned hyperfixation, hyperfocus. If it's something you enjoy, uh, Lucy, do you find you're able to do it? Yeah, and probably do it like real, like without sounding like a fuckwit, like really, really well. Like I've mm. always been a quite a high achiever no matter what I try to do, even if I'm not very good at it. Um, like when I was a, like a student, we used to do like cross country at school and I wasn't even a long distance runner. I wasn't even good at running. But because I just was like so determined, I guess, yes. because I was just fixated on it. So I just then became like all of a sudden a really good long distance runner with like no skill, no <laughs> training at all. But it's just because I was like, I am not going to not run anymore. It was a mental thing. It wasn't like my physical ability. Yeah. And I think that's such a strength of ADHD mm. is you just, you have this ability to focus and knuckle down uh, much more intently than I guess the, you know, average neurotypical person. And it does make you very successful in so many ways. Yeah, it's good. It's like a superpower, but also comes with some, a lot of missed appointments. <laughs> but like, as I was <laughs> going to say before, like, I guess as someone with ADHD, I don't know, just like if you're kind of on a roll, does that sort of breed more of the same sort of actions, you know what I mean? Like yeah. when you're in routine mm. and then that's when you are like, oh, my God, like, and I'll know when she's gone to the gym because I'll literally have like 20 messages before 9 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, Nikki's she's got like, endorphins. I hate it when I hate no, it when, I love it though, when she's, in, she's in a good mood. But I'm like, oh, Luce <laughs> got up this morning and went to the gym. Like I just know instantly. Yeah. But, but like I feel like when you are in those good phases, that's when you kind of like on a really good run. It kind of like breeds more positivity. Totally. No, it does. I yeah. completely agree. Well, it's almost like you're – getting that consistent dopamine spike. So if you are going to the gym, which exercise is so important, so important for people with, well, for anyone, but especially people with ADHD, because it gives you dopamine. And because you're meeting, the thing is when you describe those two states earlier, perfectionistic stage, and I think you said unhinged stage, both (laughs) (laughs) both those phases are meeting needs. One's meeting them more adaptively and one's meeting them more maladaptively and there's nothing wrong with you know saying no we're not going out or binge eating but you don't want that to be your only coping strategy so when you're on like you said uh Nikki when you are going to the gym and you're getting that dopamine that's rewarding and reward leads to repetition so if you're feeling good I'm going to do that again and you keep going 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 Mm. yeah it kind of makes sense I guess it totally makes sense for sure um, so what would you say are some top tips for people dealing with ADHD aside from getting medicated? Yeah. Okay. Number one, exercise. So important. When you exercise, you are boosting your dopamine, you're boosting your serotonin. This brings down your adrenaline and your cortisol. So when you're stressed and a lot of people with ADHD struggle with stress and anxiety, 
that sort of boosts your stress hormones. And to counteract that, exercise is amazing. So making sure that you're you're doing that. It doesn't have to be intense. You don't have to run a marathon, but movement is really, really good. Gets your brain going. Uh, the second thing is self-compassion. The research has shown that self-compassion is such an incredible thing. They found people who are more self-compassionate hit their deadlines more than people who poke themselves with a stick. So don't take your ADHD, like take it seriously. But what I'm saying is there's just moments where you've, you've got to laugh. Like my friend went to the airport and she has her own podcast. She's very successful. And she got to the airport super early. She missed her flight because she was at the wrong gate. And ADHD, you know, there's this things you got to be like, lol, ADHD. The the problem is, (laughs) people really criticize themselves and they they feel so bad about certain things, but you just got to be like, Oh, well, it's like someone with a, with a broken leg, right? Say they, um, they fell over. They're not going to be like, Oh my God, I'm so stupid and incompetent, but well, my leg's broken. So that might happen. So being kind to yourself, but also just not really criticizing when you do miss the mark or you don't get things wrong, being super kind to yourself. Like you speak to a friend, speak to yourself that way. Yeah, totally. Mm, True. I could definitely take on board that, that advice for sure. For sure. And what about, I guess, friends and family who are dealing with someone with ADHD? Yes, this is such a good topic to ask about. I think genuinely friends and family, ask questions, get to Mm. know what ADHD is, educate yourself, learn more about it. Try not to invalidate that person or say, I don't believe in it, but you know, you do you. Actually learn about it and be open about it. And if your friend is running late, it's okay. Relax. If your friend hasn't responded, you know, if they haven't written back to your text, it's okay. Just be a little bit kinder, being a little bit more mindful. Mm. Don't assume that the person with ADHD isn't trying their best because it doesn't look that way to you. They could be really trying. Yeah, fully. And that's it. Like like you said, it's like sometimes people just fuck up sometimes. Like, like the airport, yes. like the wrong gate thing. That's something I would do. You know, yes, and then you're I'm, just going to be like, oh, shit, flight. I was just off that day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think it hap- it happens as well. Same. I Last time I was in Bali, I came to the airport a day late and I've done this twice and oh, I, I don't no. have ADHD. Um, <laughs> to answer your question, I, I don't have ADHD, but I, I did that and I say, whoops, what am I going to do about it? Totally. You know, we stew on situations and people will say to me, but Steph, like you need to care more. You need to be more aware. And I'm like, what will criticizing myself in that moment achieve? Yeah, yeah. literally. What's done is done. Try again yes. next time. And then if you miss oh. it the next time, just try again for the third time. <laughs> exactly. I think self-criticism solves no problems. Totally. Wow. I actually saw a quote. Um, it was literally in my Explore feed just before. And I was like, wow, that is so um, topical for today's podcast. Um, mm. But also just with my ability to not shut the fuck up ever. But it was like not every thing that happens needs a reaction. And I, I find that that's what I, I, I don't know if it's a trait of ADHD, if it's just who I am as a person, but I really have to try a lot harder to not be overly reactive to things. Like even something as simple, that's not even like a emotional reaction. Like, cause it's like my brain and my mouth have no there's nothing in between yes. filtering what I say. 
Yes, that, and that's the impulsivity. Not many people recognize that. So that's huge. That's massive progress. But I think as well, even if you make those errors or you do have a reaction, just forgive yourself and move on. But yes, not mm. everything has a reaction, but I think we are reactive. We live in a society where we're so stressed that we're all in this kind of small window of what we tolerate that it doesn't take much for people to flip out of their window of tolerance. So if I was going to recommend something else for people, it's you know, tap into how big is your window of tolerance? Your window of tolerance is the window within you can handle everyday life situations and stress. Now, if you've gone through trauma, if you've got ADHD, your window might be more like a tiny baby window. So to increase your window of what you tolerate, things such as breath work, meditation, mm. journaling can all be very useful, but it's easier said than done. Not everything needs a reaction. That's great. But applying that, it's very mm. challenging because reactivity comes from the part of your brain, your fight or flight, and that's not logical reasoning. So when you're in that part of your brain, you're not using this smart brain. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. It's interesting though, like even saying to someone with ADHD, why don't you try meditating? It's like, fuck it. I don't think you want to be in my brain while I'm trying to meditate. It's like bing bong, bing bong, 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 bong. Like it's yes. like there's that little monkey with the symbols going. Yeah. <laughs> like from the Simpsons. Yes, yes. With a head and noise look, doll. I mean, meditation may not be it for everyone. Even just taking five breaths can regulate your nervous system. So it doesn't have to mm -hmm. be extreme. So just remember, like, is it a step in the direction? It doesn't have to be a full-on meditation, but every little bit can help. It accumulates. Every little thing you do sort of accumulates and it will it will help. Yeah, totally. So I honestly reckon that there would be so many people listening to this being like, fuck, I potentially have ADHD. Yeah, or, like, like, or someone I know might yeah. like have it, yeah. I guess just like maybe it'd be nice to explain the process of if you do think that you need to get diagnosed, like what that sort of looks like. Yeah, sure. So the first thing I usually recommend to people is write down what you resonate with. Write down if you've been listening to podcasts and resonate with certain symptoms, write it down because especially when you can go in for an appointment, people can freeze, they feel intimidated, they forget. So having some data in your in your phone can be a really useful thing. The second thing is seek professionals with expertise in the area. So whether it's a doctor, whether it's a psychiatrist, whether it's a psychologist. Now a psychiatrist and a psychologist, given that they have the expertise and the tools, can assess and diagnose ADHD. But you do need to see a psychiatrist for medication. So they may need to see you after the psychologist to get the medication. But seeing a psychologist can also help you with other stuff. You can do ongoing counseling, address any other concerns. But I think the assessment, the diagnosis is a massive part of the treatment. I think just knowing and being validated is a great step. Yes, there might be wait lists, but now with e-psychiatry and online appointments, it does make it a lot more accessible. Mm. And that's basically it. The process may vary. So you'll do a few assessment sessions, you do some psychometric tests. Uh, we get an informant, so someone, a family member or someone who's close to you to do an assessment as well. And then you put all that data together, you get a report and then hopefully start your your journey on figuring things out. So yeah. good. Yeah. I feel like this is going to be, I feel like there's a lot of our listeners out there that think maybe they might have mm. it, but then are also unsure of like, 
you know, you know, they might even just also think like, oh, maybe I am just a little bit lazy or maybe I am just a little bit distracted or whatever. But yeah. I think how, as a psychologist, how do you differentiate? Like, is it very obvious to you someone that does have it versus someone that doesn't? Not really. It depends. And I think you've got to be very clinically aware to rule things out and rule things in. So for example, if their difficulties are pervasive, if it's been around, if it doesn't really go away, whereas anxiety is usually you'll flare up, you'll forget, you'll feel stressed out, but then it will sort of come down. And with other diagnoses, they may not struggle with attention, focus, memory, all of that type of thing. So it's important that you assess for a lot of other different things as well. Uh, Sometimes it's obvious, sometimes it's not because people learn coping strategies or learn masking strategies. But I think over time, if nothing has really helped and you've done the therapy, you've, you know, taken your antidepressants because antidepressants are very different to stimulants and you still don't feel like you've quite figured it out, that's usually an indication. Mm. Yeah, wow. What is the difference between ADHD and autism? Yeah, good question. Autism spectrum disorder is essentially characterized by it's a neurodevelopmental condition as well. But people with this also, it happens on a spectrum, and it, there used to be Asperger's, Asperger's, however you pronounce it, is essentially not a diagnosis anymore. So you're either, you're oh, on wow. the autism, yeah, it's just, Autism is the diagnosis and now there's different levels and the levels one, two or three depend on how much uh, support that that person needs. But the main difference, and there's a lot of overlap, the main uh, difference is that people with autism spectrum disorder or autism spectrum condition is that they struggle sometimes with repetitive motor movements or hand movements or this is known as stimming. They may also struggle with social connections, social reciprocity, eye contact, not that everyone does, but people with ADHD, they may be very social. They may feel really comfortable in social situations, whereas people with autism will really struggle with um, social uh, situations most of the time. And the other main difference is people with uh, autism will often have restricted or repeated interests. So they will eat the same thing at the same time every day or wear the same thing at the same time every day. Mm. They don't have this need for um, variety or they're not necessarily impulsive. They're not necessarily dopamine seekers. So that's the main difference. But yes, there's a high Mm. comorbidity, which means people can have both ASD and ADHD at the same time. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, we just um, know a girl that was recently diagnosed with autism and I was like, I wonder what, how it differs from ADHD, like what the kind of main things are. So I think you've just made that very clear, which is great. Yeah, yeah and I think one more thing is people with uh, autism may not necessarily struggle with executive functioning. They may not have difficulties with organisation, planning. They may be very good at it actually, whereas someone with um ADHD will really struggle with organisational and so they can be best friends often because they can help each other out. Mm, Balance each other out. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I guess like um, what was like one thing that you would just love our listeners to take away? Ooh, one thing I would love. Share some wisdom. 
Yeah, I think definitely that your your feelings matter and your experiences matter and it doesn't matter, just it matter a lot of times that you may think it's not a big deal or you may think that what you're going through, you can just push through it. But if you are struggling, get help and speak to someone mm. about it. I think the most important thing to take away, this is another thing, is that your mental health, it's not a destination. It's a daily decision. And what you do on a daily basis, those micro decisions throughout the day is what's going to help your mental health more so than what you do once a week or when you go to therapy. And I think Mm. this idea that mental health is more about management on an ongoing basis rather than a destination. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. That's great advice. Well, thank you so much for coming and sharing your wisdom with us today, Stephanie. I really appreciate it. And you've just made some things even more clear. So clear. <laughs> Thank you. You're so welcome. I've absolutely loved speaking to you and, and hopefully next time we're in the Goldie we can catch up. Let's absolutely yes. do that. Round two in person in the studio. I would love that. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. Bye.